Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here, FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, and let me start out by thanking all of you for uh, contributing last week in KDVS's annual pledge drive. We, we hate to have to do that. We hate to have to take a break from our normal uh, eclectic uh, community-based and uh, student-run uh, programming to do that, but we, we have to. And, and you guys rose to the occasion. We met our goal, which was $65,000. It should allow us to make some upgrades, which are really badly needed here at the station in terms of equipment, and will allow us to continue to bring you the kind of programming that, uh, that you want. And I must say, it certainly is a privilege to be associated with this fine university and, and, and wonderful radio station. Uh, you know, curiously, I guess it's actually not curiously at all, um, this week I am over at uh, KXJZ on the Insight program. And uh, between Tuesday and Friday, it appears we're going to actually go through not, uh, not one, not two, but eight different guests which are in some way associated with uh, UC Davis. On Tuesday, we interviewed uh, Dr. Sasha Abramsky, a colleague of our good friend Dr. Andy Jones at the UC Davis Writers Program. He gave a talk in Davis on Tuesday night. Uh, yesterday, we spoke over on uh, on CAP Radio with Joel Premack and Nancy Ellen Abrams about their uh, book, The View from the Center of the Universe. They gave a multimedia presentation last night. Um, earlier today... Uh, we borrowed from the nutrition department here at UC Davis and talked with Dr. Liz Applegate uh, about uh, some of the issues surrounding uh, sugar in our diet. And uh, tomorrow, um, we will be speaking, hopefully, with Amy Goodman, uh, Dr. Alfred McCoy, James Yee, and Michael Ratner, all of whom are in, uh, in town tomorrow for a conference at Freeborn Hall, a discussion about uh, what's going on at Guantanamo. If uh, all goes as planned, we will speak with Amy Goodman, actually from from an airplane somewhere over Nevada at 2 o'clock tomorrow. Amy Goodman, of course, uh, brings you Democracy Now!, which is heard here on KDVS uh, at noon, uh, Monday through Friday. We will also uh, be speaking with Michael Ratner, president of the Center for Constitutional Rights, who argued the case of the Guantanamo prisoners before the Supreme Court. James Yee, former U.S. Army Muslim chaplain at Guantanamo, and Dr. Alfred McCoy, author of A Question of Torture, CIA Interrogation from the Cold War to the War on Terror. Alfred McCoy, of course, was the also the author of the, the legendary, um, the classic of deep politics, the politics of heroin in Southeast Asia. That was back, I think, in 1972. So it's an all-star lineup tomorrow here at UC Davis. Hope that um, at least one of those uh, guests can appear on KDVS on Speaking in Tongues. I know that uh, Richard Estes and Ron Glick are, are going to see if they can't snag one of those, uh, those fine people. All right, let us begin the program as we like to do with 
this date in history. On this date in history, May 5th, in the year 1862, though outnumbered 3 to 1, Mexican General Ignacio Zaragoza's troops defeated Napoleon III's invading French army at Puebla. The Cinco de Mayo, or 5th of May, is uh, afterwards one of Mexico's uh, cherished holidays and one which is uh, celebrated perhaps even more heartily here in the United States. On May 5th of 1961, Mercury astronaut Alan Shepard became America's first space traveler when, uh, when he made a 15-minute suborbital flight in a capsule launch from Cape Canaveral, Florida. This uh, sort of touched, uh, touched the edge of space, getting Alan Shepard above the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, some of the glow was taken off this accomplishment by the fact that Yuri Gagarin had made an orbital flight for the Soviet Union uh, a month earlier. But I learned uh, recently that uh, actually Sacramento had a role to play. The Aerojet Corporation's rockets were involved in the Mercury program and, uh, if my research is correct, uh, helped get Alan Shepard uh, up into space. And on May 5th, 1955, mixing baseball and ballet, the musical Damn Yankees opened in New York City. It ran for 1,000 19 performances and brought America such such classics as Heart, as in You Gotta Have, and Whatever Lola Wants, Lola Gets. And although Mr. McMillan cringes every time I do this, let's uh, let's play a little show tune at this juncture. When the grin should start You gotta have hope Nothing's sit around and mope Nothing's half as bad as it may appear Wait till next Our quote of the day comes from Paul Gallico, who said, No one can be as calculatedly rude as the British, which amazes Americans who do not understand studied insult and can only offer abuse as a substitute. And our bonus quote, which I think I've used before, but it's so good I just can't resist using it again, comes from the immortal Samuel Johnson, who once wrote a man and said, your manuscript is both good and original, but the part that is good is not original, and the part that is original is not good. <laughs> that's, that's one from the ouch file. Our statistic of the day comes from the USA Today slash Gallup poll, noting that 46% of Americans say the U.S. should mind its own business internationally and let other countries get along on their own. Only one-third of Americans felt that way three years ago, before Iraq. Actually, let's add a bonus statistic, too, while we're at it today. This one I can't believe, uh, but... Apparently, a British railway engineer set a record for the world's longest surf ride by catching a wave that took him 7.6 miles. Steve King, age 41, rode the Severn Boar, which is a tidal surge along an estuary near Gloucester, for one hour and 17 minutes. He was the last man standing among 1,000 surfers, some of who had come to ride the boar from as far away as Australia and Hawaii. 
Said King, I didn't think the conditions were that good, but I had been going for a distance, hadn't fallen off, and the waves still hadn't broken. And I thought, hang on. All right, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, this week was a good week for the atmosphere. After Venezuelan researchers identified two harmless bacteria that, when added to cooked beans, makes them flatulence-free. We think this could be quite a boon to mankind, given the nutritional power punch of beans. Uh, If you could find a way to eliminate those oligosaccharides, those short-chain sugars that uh, make beans windy, uh, well, it it would do a lot for humanity. And uh, by the way, the enzyme product Bino, sold here in America, also works. You uh, can't add it to the beans, however, before cooking because the cooking will denature the enzyme and render it useless. All right, it was a bad week for (laughs) dignified political battles. After rivals in the race to become Mexico's next president, both touted oversized cojones as prime credentials to serve. An ad for the leftist candidate, Roberto Madrazo, says he's got big ones, while conservative Felipe Calderon's ads say he's got balls. And yes, cojones is the Mexican word for testicles. And last week was an ugly week for wise use of taxpayer dollars when it was revealed by the Washington Times that local fire departments are using Homeland Security grants to buy treadmills and stationary bikes, also to sponsor puppet shows. Apparently more than 250 requests for grants have been approved so far. Among them, the Crawfordsville, Indiana Fire Department spent its $55,000 on gym equipment and instruction on fitness and nutrition. Meanwhile, the Des Moines Fire Department used its $69,000 grant to teach fire safety through puppet and clown shows. Tom Schatz, president of Citizens Against Government Waste, said Congress and Homeland Security officials appear to be, quote, having trouble prioritizing, unquote. Gee, you think? All right, let's close the good, the bad, and the ugly. Speaking of that, we hope to be contacting in the very near future the agents for Eli Wallach and talk to him about his trade paperback version of The Good, The Bad, and Me, subtitled In My Anecdotage. Eli Wallach, of course, uh, played the ugly in the legendary Sergio Leone Western, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. We're also planning, if all goes well, to bring you Bart D. Ehrman on next week's program. He's the author of Miss Quoting Jesus, which was, which was produced a wonderful interview with Terry Gross on her program. 
Uh, he's now written Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene, the followers of Jesus in history and legend. And, uh, of course, with the Da Vinci, da Vinci Code sweeping the nation, this should be uh, really a very interesting uh, talk next week, and we're really looking forward to that one. Let's take a moment to answer some email. I received quite a wonderful email from Brian, who asked if we'd caught the Colbert Correspondence Dinner Speech, which was actually uh, the appearance at, what was it, the um, the White House Press Corps' annual dinner, where uh, Colbert, of the Colbert Report, uh, really went after George Bush. This is on the web. If you haven't seen this, I recommend that you do so. Colbert is... Uh, uh, you will be squirming watching uh, what he does to George Bush. Um, Bush, of course, deserves a, a lot of pillaring, I think. But for my money, Colbert was a little bit heavy-handed, not to say that there aren't some real belly laughs in it. Uh, at any rate, it's worth checking out. But what got Brian sending me an email was uh, uh, an analysis, a short article that uh, he thought might fit into the program, and, and, and we agree, it does. Anyway, in an article posted by Dave Johnson on May 2nd, uh, you know, took a look at uh, what, what, what was in the media in the wake of uh, Stephen Colbert doing what he did, uh, which was to say nothing was in the mainstream media. Colbert really, really went after George W. Bush and, um, you know, it, with a room full of White House press correspondents as witnesses and participants. And what did you read about it in the paper? Well, I didn't see anything. I'm just glad somebody sent me the link. Some of you may have recalled when Don Imus was the speaker at the 1996 Correspondents' Dinner when he insulted President Clinton uh, and, and Newt Gingrich. Uh, Imus actually didn't do a very good job. He was just he was just flop-sweating all over the place, and nobody was laughing because it wasn't all that funny. However, uh, Imus got this flash flood of publicity afterwards. Now, Colbert's done something quite simple. But uh, let me read from the article. This is no big deal, uh, except when compared to this week's press response to Colbert's appearance. The only way to describe the response is intentional blackout. The New York Times wrote an article about the dinner and did not mention Colbert in the article at all. A scan of Google News finds almost no coverage outside of the blogs. Indeed, when I, when I looked at that clip, I thought, that is amazing, and went on to Google to see what the buzz was. Well, there really wasn't much of any. The press coverage of President Clinton led to his impeachment, even when all the Republican-initiated investigations found he'd done nothing wrong. In contrast, the press continues its blackout of coverage or even discussion of possible crimes committed by President Bush. But, uh, dear listener, don't take it from me. Go on the web, find that clip from Colbert, take a look at it, and ask yourself, isn't this, the, isn't this provocative enough to have generated some kind of interest in the media? Uh, I think you'll agree that, uh, you know, people are afraid to speak up. But we're not, and we thank Brian for sending us that, uh, that article. And from the obituary file, we have the following, Dateline Salt Lake City. A woman who helped her husband invent television and who was one of the first people to appear on it has died. An official at the Utah nursing home where she lived said Elma Farnsworth died last week at age 98. She married Philo Farnsworth in 1926 and worked by his side in the lab. She fought for decades to assure his place in history after her husband died in 1971. 
The inventor's first TV transmission was on September 7, 1927. He sent the image of a horizontal line from his San Francisco lab to a receiver in the next room. According to a book about the inventor, Farnsworth's first transmissions of people were images of his wife and her brother. That uh, was sent to us by our good friend, Dr. Andy Jones, and I think what we're going to do is dig up from uh, September uh, 2002, the show we did together uh, to look at Philo Farnsworth and his contribution to television. And so uh, the second segment will be an encore presentation of what was actually uh, one of our earliest broadcasts here on KDVS. Stay tuned for that. You're listening to KDVS on 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.